The Bible reading for this morning is from Genesis 1, 24 to 31, and it's on page 2 of the Blue Bibles. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thanks so much, Angela. It's great to be with you again today. We're spending three weeks in this first uh, chapter of God's Word, uh, thinking through some essential things about who we are, who God is, our relationship with him. I'm going to throw a picture of these uh, bad boys up on the screen for you to look at. These guys are the Bloodhound Gang. They're a, a group of punk rockers. Uh, who produced a song, hip-hop band, called, uh, produced a song called The Bad Truth. Now in it, the chorus goes like this. Uh, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do like they do on the Discovery Channel. Now, uh, they're making a point in a fairly crass sort of a way uh, about who we are and what our nature is. That is, they're saying we're just like any other animal on the face of the planet, therefore we may as well behave like animals. Now, you may, you may feel like uh, a group of punk rockers are not the best place to go to get your big world view and philosophy of life from. You may think these are not, not authoritative guys, and the look, by the look of them, you might be right. Uh, but of course, um, all they're doing is echoing the views and the thinking and the philosophy of fairly significant 21st and 20th century philosophers and ethicists from around the world. People like uh, Peter Singer, who you'll see a picture of just now. He's a professor of bioethics at Princeton University. Uh, he's a brilliant evolutionary biologist and ethicist. He's a prolific author. Uh, many of his textbooks are used by universities, especially in their 101 courses in social sciences. This is what he says about the nature of human beings. To give preference to the life of a being simply because that being is a member of our species would put us in the same position as racists who give preference to those who are members of their race. Now, do you understand what he's saying at that point? There is no essential difference between us and animals. And if you think there is, he says, what you're being is not racist, but speciest. 
that is, you have a form of discrimination based on the fact that we're from uh, different parts of the animal world. Now, the thing is, when you focus on hum humanity, you know we're an extraordinary enigma, aren't we? We're capable of kindness, of generosity, of self-sacrifice, of love. Uh, we can have meaningful relationships that are quite powerful. And yet, you and I both know that we're also capable as a species of evil, of hate, of cruelty. Uh, we're, we're capable of uh, a level of deg degradation you don't see anywhere else in the created order. Now, when you get to Genesis chapter 3 in this book, you discover why that's the case. You discover the way in which people have rejected God and decided to go their own way. And the consequences of that roll out in terms of the way we live, our morality, our relationships with one another, the way we live in this world. And in fact, that the stepping away from God also corrupts the whole of the created order, Genesis chapter 3. But of course, for three weeks, we're spending our time in Genesis chapter 1. We actually don't really quite get to Genesis 3 uh, this time around. I'll refer to it briefly later on. But what I'd like to do today is to focus on Genesis 1 and to ask and try and delve into the question of what it means to be human. Who are we in the created economy of God's purposes? Okay, that's what we're doing. Great to have your Bibles open if you haven't got that or your phones linked up to um, this reading as we look at chapter 1 together, particularly that last section. What we discover as we go to Genesis 1 is that God is the hero. We saw that last week. He's mentioned 35 times. Uh, he exists before all things. He creates and controls absolutely everything that he's made. He is good. And his generosity is reflected in all of creation around us. That's the character of our God. The world, it's very clearly not a random accident of nature in a meaningless universe. Uh, that's not the world we live in. Uh, everything God has made for a purpose, and that includes human beings, hu humanity. In fact, the way that Genesis 1 is, is written makes it clear that humanity is actually at the apex of all that God has created. We are different. You pick it up in lots of different ways as you look at some of the details of this chapter. Uh, Non-human creation is defined by its relationship to human beings. Um, the connections are made there. So, for example, when you go to verse 14 of chapter 1, it talks about, uh, not in these words, but the sun and the moon. But the sun and the moon are not cosmologically defined. They're defined in terms of the way in which they regulate the season or the calendar. And that means for the benefit of humanity. You see, it's, it's, that's the way in which it's framed. Uh, did you notice when we get to day six, although we didn't read the preceding days, we did last week, but when you get to day six uh, and the creation of humanity, it's like you, like you hit a key change in a song. Now, let me say, uh, unlike say, someone like Kelly, I did not have a musical bone in my body, all right? none at all. But even I understand that when you get a key change in a song, it's emphasising something, or we're coming to the main point in the song. And it's like that when you get to day six, everything slows down. Uh, there's more words in this day because the events that are happening in day six are more significant. Uh, when we look at the day, there's a distinction between animals 
and humanity. Um, you look at verse 24, and it says, let, let the land produce living creatures. That's what God says. But notice the difference when you come to mankind in verse 26. God says, let us make man in our own image. Uh, there's a closer, uh, more personal interest in humanity at this point. Uh, the literary structure of the sixth day highlights the centrality of human beings. Uh, you've got verses 24 and 25 to do with the animal world. You then come back to the end of the day, verses uh, 29 to 30, and it's the provision for both the animals and humanity. They're the bookends of this verse or this day. When you come to verses uh, 26 to 28, the centrepiece is all about human beings. It even comes down to the detail of the language that's used. Let me just, just make one point about the words that are used here. Uh, in chapter 1, there are two words used of God's creative work. Uh, as you go through, uh, there's the word make. God makes things. You pick that up, say, in verse 7, or verse 16, or verse 25. It talks about the, um, uh, the making of the expanse, or the lights, or the animals. But notice also, instead of make, the word create is used in this chapter. And this is not just for variation, this is a deliberate difference in use of words. So create is used in verse 1, created the heavens and the earth. When you get to verse 27, create is used three times. They're different words in Hebrew. Right? Uh, make is the Hebrew word asar, and create is the Hebrew word bara. Okay, now you may think, why do I need to know this? Uh, let me try and show you why it has a significance, uh, the difference between these words. Um, this morning when I got up, uh, I was going to say I made my bed. Let me say I should have made my bed, okay? Um, all right. uh, it, making my bed doesn't involve much of myself. You know, I don't have a lot invested in making my bed. Uh, it's just a task that I do. I make my bed. I have a son-in-law who's an artist. When he talks about a painting, he doesn't say, I made a painting. He says, I created a work of art because he's invested in that activity and that task. You understand here in Genesis 1, there are two words used, make and create, and they're deliberately used different, differently and the create word is very, very focused, not exclusively, but very focused on humanity and the special place we have in God's plan. Verse 27, God created man, God created him, male and female, he created them. Friends, we are special in the economy of what God does in this world. Now, what I've done is just thrown out some literary clues that you pick up as you go through this chapter. And I've deliberately done that because I think sometimes uh, we're tempted to be, well, people tell us that what we've got here in chapter one or in these early chapters of Genesis is simplistic and childish literature. It's rubbish. This is profoundly, carefully drafted literature to make 
the point. It's from the mouth of God telling us about who he is and how he makes us. The details tell us that that is the case. But the key idea here is what does it mean for us to be created in the image of God? Verse 27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? See, when I jumped up today, did you think, you know, Paul Harrington really reminds me of God, you know? Was that your instinctive? How many people immediately thought that? You know, like, you know, it's, it, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It's led to lots of different speculation. Speculation about whether we physically appear like God or to do with our intelligence or our ability to reason or personality or capacity for relationships or lots of different thoughts have revolved around this idea of image of God. But actually, you know, the best way, and this is always the case as you read the Bible, best way to work out the meaning of something is to look in the context where it appears, and normally the details of the context will tell you what's going on. So let's do that together. Uh, what we discover is that, that to be made in the image of God means to have a unique relational capacity, right? both with God and with one another. Uh, certainly with one another. It's interesting that in verse 27 it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. We are made for relationship with one another and the diversity of gender uh, contributes towards that. Now, that's, we could explore that forever, actually, because the whole question of gender diversity and fluidity, uh, the whole question of same-sex marriage, transgenderism, all those sort of issues uh, rolling around today in our society, and the attempt is being made to say they, they no longer have any bearing. But in the economy of God's created order, they, they do. I think, actually, Jeff, is Jeff Lynn coming to preach on transgenderism in term three? Okay, so Jeff will come back to that sort of thing and he'll be drawing on these sort of issues. But we humans are designed for relationship with one another. God has made us uh, that way. But we're also designed for relationship with God in a way that animals are not designed. Uh, if you look at verse 24, you see there, notice how God says, let the land produce living creatures. Notice how it's different when it comes to verse 28 and we're talking about people. God blessed them and said to them. You see, see, God actually communicates directly with people in a way that he doesn't do with, with animals. It is personal, unlike any other creature. The other thing about image that comes out in this uh, part of God's word is that we have a delegated role and responsibility from God. Uh, verse 26, here's the instruction. Uh, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Or if you go to verse 28, uh, the instruction is to subdue the earth and to rule over it. Mankind, humanity, we're given uh, both a privilege and a responsibility by God. God entrusts his good creation to us so that we will enjoy it. Uh, it is good, but also 
where to care for it. It's as if we're given uh, the created order on trust to manage and to operate it in line with the owner's intention. Uh, those are the two main things that we're told here about the image. Relationship, one another, God, and superintending the world. That's the unique context of uh, what we're being told. So what I want to do for just a few minutes is to tease out uh, some of the implications of what it means to be made in the image of God. Firstly, uh, let me talk about the, the dignity and the value of all people because all people are created in the image of God. Uh, someone like Singer says that uh, people have no more value than a pet dog or a chicken, uh, essentially. It's, it, he's got a slightly more complex web of trying to work it out, but that's, that's fundamentally what he's saying. But here in Genesis, we discover we're not just the, the random throw of an evolutionary dice. That's not who we are. God says we're made in his image, and therefore we have intrinsic value. Now, what does that mean? It means we will not treat people in a utilitarian way. That is, we won't value people because of what they can do or what they can give us. Uh, we, if we're followers of, of God, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we won't differentiate between people based on their gifts or their personality or their intelligence or their beauty we'll actually see that at an essential level, every human being is made in the image of God. Now, that's why Christians have always been at the cutting edge of social concern. Christians have always been at the forefront of thinking about issues like slavery or infanticide or abortion or euthanasia, uh, will always be concerned to protect those who are powerless at both ends of life for different reasons because we understand that people are made in the image of God. Now, this truth is actually worked out uh, consistently at all sorts of different points in the Bible, but I thought I'd take you to one place so you can see where this idea of the image of God affects the way we treat one another. I'm going to go to James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It's fine for you to flip that open, or uh, let me just read this to you. Um, in James chapter 3, there's an instruction about how God's people should be talking to one another, the way in which we should treat each other by the way we use our tongues. Okay, And in verses uh, 9 and 10 of chapter 3, this is what we hear. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's image or likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now, do you get the logic of the way in which he works that out? There's an inconsistency between claiming to praise God and then denigrating and looking down on those who are made in his image. You can't do that with any integrity because we are made in the image of God. Now, let me say, this truth will bite home in different ways for each one of us. 
That is, it, you might be able to theoretically say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. Um, but my guess is that there are probably uh, soft underbellies that each of us have in different areas. So, for example, when you're in town, you're walking down the street, uh, say North Terrace, and you see a beggar on the side of the road, what's your temptation? What's your temptation at that point? Uh, move around, cross road, just don't engage. Uh, understand the beggar is made in the image of God. See? It's profoundly important to understand who this person is in God's economy. Or maybe um, you have a different approach with someone who is poor. And possibly you do have a weak point when it comes to certain, not, you're not racist, except with maybe one or two nationalities, you know. <laughs> you know or there could be lots of different ways in which this, this works. Or maybe for you, you innately tend to be polite with someone who's older but sort of dismissive. You, know, you don't invest much time there because, after all, they're on the slow decline, you know. Or, I mean, I'm not saying any of us, because, you know, we're here in church, we'd never admit this, okay. Um, do you understand? What I'm saying is, it's just, it's a time to reflect on where you find yourself tending to operate this way. Or maybe in a, um, in a congregation like this, in a context like ours, maybe we're not racist, maybe we're careerist. See, does a doctor have any more value than someone who is unemployed? And of course, in God's economy of things, no, not at all. We are made in the image of, of God. Friends, this is, this is a profound truth. It's interesting, Peter Singer, uh, his mother contracted Alzheimer's, I think it was in the late 90s. Now, his mother had said that if she ever got into a situation where she contracted Alzheimer's and got to a certain point, she wanted to be euthanized. And Singer himself, uh, of course, if you've read anything of what he says, fundamentally argues that that's a sensible thing to do. Once people use their utility, their value to society, that's a reasonable step to take in that situation. However, in the case of his mother, Singer and his sister spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, they poured enormous resources into preserving her life at that point. Now, Singer has got a fairly sharp mind and a reasonably sharp tongue. He was interviewed at one stage by a reporter who was quite courageous, I thought, in asking how he could hold the views he does and yet operate in relation to his mother the way he did. And his answer was... It's different when it's your mother. Now, can I say actually intuitively, I think he's right. I think intuitively he understood truth here from Genesis chapter 1, even if he could never have enunciated it at that point. And it's a beautiful truth about the nature of the way in which God has endowed every single human being with value. Uh, it's a gift of his and the way we're to see people because of the way he's made us. 
Being made in the image of God is also linked, as we saw, with the way in which we're to take care of this world. Um, I don't want to spend much time on this. Now, I'll come back to the question of uh, our work in the world next week. That's, that's my plan. Uh, we, as you would have heard, we share the sixth day with animals. Okay? And scientists say that there can be uh, up to 95% of correlation between our genome and, say, the genome of a chimpanzee. Right? As I look around the room, it could be more in some people's cases. Right? But do you understand? No, I don't mean that. But do you understand? There, there's, a, there's a big overlap, and we do share this sixth, sixth day. We have a lot in common. But one big difference is that unlike animals, we are tasked with caring for creation. Uh, let me make a couple of comments on what that means. Uh, humanity has historically had an incredibly bad track record in caring for the world. Um, we, because of Genesis chapter 3, actually tend to manipulate it, we tend to strip it, we tend to use it to our own advantage. And in fact, sometimes um, Christians have been blamed for having that worldview because of this chapter. You know, words like subdue, um, rule. People have said, greenies have said, well, you know, that's because Christians think they can just strip it to their own advantage. Of course, you cannot come to that view if you read through this part of the Bible. What you understand is God has created a good world. Part of our task is to superintend this good world and maintain its goodness. Now, we know Genesis 3 means there's a corruption built into the world, but nonetheless, we still have a responsibility. According to a, uh, you know, a hierarchy of values that God has placed in this world, to utilise the world to honour him for the good of people around us and general stewardship, okay? That is essentially a task that we have. Uh, rule is not exploitation or greed. Subduing it uh, does mean caring for it in a way that reflects God's goodness. Let me conclude, though, uh, by just talking for a moment about what it means to be fully human. See, I think to be fully human is to actually know and have a relationship with your creator. I'm going to throw a picture up on the screen um, right now, and you might have trouble making out all the details of it. Now, I, sorry, this, I took this with a, a phone camera. It was a, a print that was in the office of a doctor that Sue and I happened to be visiting a couple of weeks ago, okay? And it just, I didn't, like, I know as much about art as I do about music, but this, this caught my attention, okay? And as you look at this picture, what you can see is there is, uh, it's essentially a, you know, a stylized print of Rundle Moore. Above the mall's balls, you might be able to make out there's an eye that's sitting there in the centre at the top. And the balls actually um, uh, are meant to be teardrops that are emerging out of that eye. Uh, the whole picture is sterile, it's, it's a desert, and I think it's trying to portray the sadness of a culture that is gripped by materialism, uh, reflected in those balls of the shops on either side, and... Um, People are depicted like pigs at the trough here in this Rundle Mall. Um, this smog, uh, the desert landscape, I think are intended to highlight the environmental problems that are just ignored by a materialistic world. There's a mechanical arm on the side. You probably can't see the details, but it's um, plucking up a foreigner uh, to discard a foreigner who's on our shores. And I think probably it's a, it's a swipe at the way we treat... Uh, not migrants, but probably refugees. You know, 
I don't know, as I say, I don't know a lot about art. But it just, it just captured uh, my attention. In Genesis chapter 1, we are created in the image of God. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, you see how we reject God. We reject living in relationship with him. Uh, we reject his loving care. And we try to be God ourselves. And in doing that, we destroy relationship with God. We do destroy relationship with each other. And it has ripple impacts on the whole of the created order. It seems to me that this, this picture captures a post-Genesis 3 world and some of the elements that are there. Friends, can I say, you, you cannot possibly have a right self-image unless you serve and are in relationship with the one who made you. Even at the point of logic, you can see why that is so essential. If you ignore God, you lose identity and purpose as a human being. When we get to the New Testament, uh, Jesus is described in Colossians chapter 1 as the image of the invisible God. Uh, he is portrayed as what it means to be fully human. But he also helps us to recover our true image and identity in our relationship with God. Let me um, just take you to one spot in the New Testament as I conclude. In Mark chapter 2, uh, Jesus is preaching to a crowd and uh, there are four guys who come along with a pallet with a friend of theirs who's, who's paralysed on it, a paralytic. They can't get close to Jesus, so they get in the roof and they lower him down into the middle of where Jesus is. Okay? So Jesus, crowd, crippled man, four friends, what do they want? They want him to be healed. What does Jesus say at that point? He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, it could be that Jesus is thick, right? And doesn't get the fact that they brought this guy to him so he can heal this man. And this man is crippled, not, we're not told because of his own sin, but because he lives in a fallen world that affects us all. But Jesus is rightly identified for this man to be truly human, to be fully human. The key to that is his relationship with God. And so he steps in and talks about the essential need for him to be forgiven in order to have that restored relationship with God. And then, after that, actually restores him back to full health by curing his, his paralysis at that point. Friends, to be fully human is to come under the authority of the one who has created you and who loves you. So friends, you and me, uh, nothing but mammals, nothing but mammals, can I say you are so much more. Uh, you have been made in the image of the God who made the universe. And he has made you for relationship with himself. And can I say, if you don't understand that, or if you haven't gotten into that relationship yet, can I say that is the most essential priority 
uh, that you can possibly have in life in order to work out who you are. Because you'll never work it out by looking at yourself. You only ever work, out, work it out by understanding the God who made you to be his. And understand, this is an extraordinary privilege and an amazing calling and purpose. Okay? Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you're a God who's made us for a relationship uh, with you. We're made in your image in a corresponding way to know you, to love you, to serve you. And yet, Father, we know that, that we all go our own way. We all do our own thing. We all uh, want to be God of our own lives. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll help us to understand what it means to live in relationship with you, to be forgiven, uh, to actually read other people the way you read them, to see them that way as people you've made, precious, uh, valuable, to live in a world that you've made that is beautiful and to take care of it properly. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll help us uh, to understand uh, fully what it means to live in the image of the one as the true image. Help us to understand that by looking at Jesus, the one who came to this world and was fully human, uh, fully in relationship with you, uh, fully in the way in which he treated other people, uh, fully human in the way in which he operated in this world. Uh, Father, give us a profound insight to these things, but also a profound um, sense of being overwhelmed by your generosity and your goodness and your grace. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.